Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to let you know about a little program I run called Lovely Perks. Every month, I send out an email with an exclusive discount code valid on one item for one week. Past offers that come to mind are 30% off the hug dress and 40% off the Cali dress. These are good perks. It's a little something that I don't publish anywhere else as a special thank you to the lovelies who subscribe to my email list. If you'd like to subscribe and get on that list, the link to do so is in the show notes. You can also sign up by going to impactfashionnyc.com and scrolling to the bottom of any page or putting your email in the pop-up if it comes up for you. The real bonus is that my emails have tons of educational content around what looks best on our bodies, first dibs on limited quantities of new styles, and tons of style inspo. Thanks for being here and enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. And on today's show, I talk with a mom's community organizer about her time as a single parent. She shares the support she wished she got in the early stages of single motherhood, why she believes people are hesitant to support children of divorce, and how a Hanukkah party led to my extended family. Sterny Steinmetz is the kind of person who never stops moving. She is a true go-getter with a deep sense of commitment to her community. So when her divorce left her a single parent with three little kids, she immediately noticed what the community was lacking, support for kids like hers, and went about creating it with My Extended Family, an organization supporting children of single parent homes. So first of all, I'm honored to be here. I've been asked many times to podcast, and never really jumped in. Um, so this is a first for me, and it's an honor. Um, and you're right, speaking about, you know, where I come from and my history, my story um, is just one small story, but in the larger picture, there's so many women going through what I went through, and it's so important that we talk about it within our community and within the greater, broader world. So, okay, what was I like growing up? I'm definitely type A personality. I'm the oldest of nine children. My parents are Chabad emissaries in California, so had a ton of responsibilities growing up. Um, I was energetic, go-getter, um, definitely adventurous, you know, got into a little bit of trouble, you know, that, that style, that type. Yeah, it sounds, sounds like it was fun. With, um, were, did you live in California for your whole childhood or did your family move around a lot? No, 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 we lived in, I was born in LA and I was two years old, my parents joined a Chabad house in Santa Monica, California. And um, I was raised there my whole life. I left there only to go to seminary in Israel when I was 18. So when, so you go to, you go to seminary, you come back. Did you, what did, what did you do after that? Did you go to college? Did you know what you wanted to do? So um, I ended up moving to New York and I did register for a semester in college. It didn't really work out for me for too many small reasons that just don't make sense really to talk about. Um, and I decided to go to work and I went to work and um, ended up in the Julie district for a little bit, Diamond district. Then I went into healthcare, um, home care specifically, marketing. 
Um, and eventually I ended up going into real estate and that's where I was for the 10 years before I remarried. So, okay. So, so we've, we've skipped a, a little bit here. Um, you, you are the founder of my extended family, which is, uh, an organization that supports children of divorce. And let me correct you. Actually, we're an organization that supports children of single parent homes. Not all of the children involved are from divorced homes. Thank you for making that correction. I'm sorry for that, uh, for messing that up. Um, the, in your situation, um, you, you became a single mom. And like you said, you were a single mom for a decade. Um, and, and I'd love if you could tell me more about that, how that happened and what that meant for your family. So I was married for about five years with three children in a short period of time. My two girls are 15 months apart. Then I had a little break and I had a boy. Um, my ex decided um, after lots of ups and downs, I'm not going to get into the details. I don't like to talk about him and his life. Um, but after lots of ups and downs and trying everything, he decided to leave the marriage. He left me with three children under the age of four and a half. Actually, it was a week, um, actually, sorry, it was two days after my son's birth that he decided that he was done. And I was left to fend for myself with three babies. Um, so that's how that came about. And I vowed at that moment that I would do everything to get back on my feet and to take care of my children. Um, and through that whole process, my extended family was sort of born from looking around the community and seeing that our community, our, our religious community, our Orthodox community is so amazing at being there for people in need. We have an organization for everything in the world. Um, children with cancer, people that struggle with fertility. I mean, really just anything. And there was no organization that catered to the needs of children from single parent homes. And I decided I have to change that. Wow. Yeah. The, with just for anyone who's not familiar, a bris happens eight days after a baby's born. So you have a literal newborn and, um, and, and what, what did you do? Where did you go? So it's a long story. I, I ended up at my brother for a little bit and then, um, by some friends and it took me a very short period of time until I decided to move to an apartment. I sold my jewelry and I had enough money to move into an apartment. And at that point, you know, I went back to work. I, I actually always worked. I was only not working because I was on maternity leave. Mm. Um, I had always, the day we got from, even before we got married, you know, I was that workaholic type. Um, and so it wasn't that difficult. It wasn't such a drastic change for me to get back into the work schedule and, you know, to get back into my career world. Right. So, so you, you have your own apartment and you're, and you're newly divorced and with all of these babies and, what, you know, what, what, what happened next? You know, what was, what were those first couple of years like you and your toddlers and infant? Um, and what, you know, what were the things that you saw that you were missing in, in the support that from the community? Okay. So a few things. I actually wasn't newly divorced. Unfortunately, it took me a very long time to get divorced. I would, didn't want to ask that question because I oh. knew what the answer was. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> actually, I'm happy we're talking about this because I think it's really important. My ex dragged me through court. He decided that he was going to um, fight for full custody. Um, I don't know why he thought that for some reason some judge would give you know, him full custody, but he decided to go that route. And um, we were in court for three years. 
And I bring these details for a reason because it's going to, um, when we talk about support, I'm gonna explain all of this. Um, the divorce cost me approximately $300,000 that I did not have. I had to borrow, work two jobs, whatever it was, until I paid it back. And thank God I was lucky enough to pay back every penny. Um, so I did not get a Jewish divorce, a get, or a civil divorce for, actually I got my get before my civil divorce. I did some things that I'm gonna talk about them here <laughs> to get my, my Jewish divorce and get. Um, and then I got my legal divorce. It took about three years going through court. Um, so you asked like what I did in the interim. So I really focused on my kids and my work. I you know, hired an amazing nanny to be there for my kids during the daytime. I made sure to always be home at five o'clock, you know, when they came home from school. Um, my baby was obviously home all day with the nanny. Interestingly enough, and this is also something like as a single mom, people need to think about is I had a job, a nine to five job. The problem was is that it didn't really work for a single mom. Sitting in an office from nine to five doesn't work for two years. Number one, I wasn't making enough money to take care of my family. And number two, what happens if like my child needs to go to the doctor? Or what happens if my child was sick? Or, or what happened if they called me from school that there was an accident? I, I was stuck in the office, like there was no leeway. And I realized that I needed to take a job that gave me much more flexibility. And actually it was the biggest blessing. Um, I ended up through funny circumstances or godly circumstances. <laughs> I ended up meeting the right people. And that's when I got into the real estate world, into the, you know, I was working commercial real estate where I was much more flexible. I wasn't stuck in an office. I was able to move around. Um, and that really helped me be there for my kids. And I think that's something that, you know, we can talk about a little bit later about as a single mom, how to make it a little bit more convenient to structure your life, one's life, so that they can really be there for their kids and be able to um, bring home a living. Um, you asked me about community support. So I was really, really, really lucky. I had the most amazing friends. I had one amazing, incredible neighbor who really adopted us. They lived across the street. We were there all the time, like all the time. We were always welcome. You know, and in the religious and Orthodox community, you have all these family gatherings. You have Shabbos, you know, Sabbath, you have all the holidays. You have all these, our, our, our religion is so based around a family unit. And all of a sudden I was lacking that because a lot of it is based around like the head of the household, which is usually the man. And he sits at the head of the table and he's such a presence in the house. And all of a sudden I didn't have that. So I was very grateful and lucky to have friends. Um, I also had the most amazing rabbi and Rebbitin. Rebbitin would be the rabbi's wife. Community leaders in our community, they are still there. They actually launched my extended family with me, Rabbi uh, Yosef and, and Tipu Bigler are the most incredible people. I really credit where I am today to them. Um, more than anything, they gave me that boost. I feel like sometimes when people are down, they don't need you know, necessarily money or time. A lot of times they just need that boost of confidence. And they just kept telling me like, you can do this. you know. And in my down days, that's, that's, they were there for me. And um, that's when I realized that I was lucky and I wanted to share that with other people. I wanted to share them with other people, you know, and I wanted people to realize that with that proper support, you can really um, 
grow and flourish regardless of your situation. So community support, it was hard. Like, you know, you go to shul, you go to synagogue. Who's bringing your boy to synagogue? A lot of women don't go. Who was taking my son? Um, there were programs, you know, after Shabbos um, for learning for boys. Who was going to sit there with my son? A lot of my struggles came with things that involved a father. You know, my girls had a mother. And my son didn't have a father. Um, sort of programs in school where everyone brought their father and my son didn't have that. So I was lucky that this rabbi stepped in, my brother, my brother stepped in at times. Um, so I was lucky to have that. But, um, you know, that's a huge impact, not having that father thing. Right, especially because a lot of things in the community are very gender segregated, you know, yeah. for, for a lot of good reasons, we have some very strict separation between between the two genders. And that means that you know, you're right. Like on, you know, on that side of Jewel where all the men are, your son would essentially be alone, you know, once he hit a certain age that it was no longer appropriate for him to be with you. And, and all of that must be, must have been really rough. I'm going to assume from this that your ex was not involved in your kids' lives at all. So he was for a little bit in the beginning, but unfortunately his addiction really controlled his life. And he really wasn't evil. He was there for that, I would say the first two or three years, but not in a healthy way. Mm. My kids, had a lot of trauma from their experiences with him. It wasn't healthy. Um, I, I, we can get into details. I'm not shy about it. I just don't know if it's helpful. I don't. I don't know if it adds anything. Um, but it really was. It wasn't a healthy situation, and therefore they didn't really have a father figure. They had someone who they were mandated to go to, who wasn't really there for them. Yeah. And, and, and I respect that. I want to, I, I, what I love about the way that you speak and even before we started recording is that you are very intentional with, um, with the messages that you put out there and very, um, you know, let's focus on the helpful things. So what I would love to know is what, what, you know, you mentioned the things that people did that were helpful for you in that first little bit, at what point after, um, you know, after your divorce, did you start thinking about, uh, starting an organization like my extended family? So it was pretty soon, I would say. It was like, you know, a couple years in that I started thinking about it, maybe two years in. I'm in my third year of being a single mom, that's when we actually um, started. Now keep in mind, I really had no idea what I was doing. Um, I approached Rabbi and Rabbi Sandegler and I said, listen, our community is amazing, but what are we doing for kids from single parent homes now? We're talking parents of the children of divorce, children who their parents, one of their spouses is possibly in jail uh, or a child that lost a parent. Now, while our focus is definitely on the children from divorced homes, we do have children from all of those um, other kinds of situations. Now, the reason we're focused on divorce is because in our community, again, there are organizations that cater to children whose parents are in prison or parents or, or a child that lost a parent. Um, but there was nothing for, you know, a, divorce, a child from a divorce home. So I went to him and I said, we gotta get something started. It was right before the holiday of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is a happy and fun time. It's also a time where families get together. And a lot of times children from divorced homes don't have that family unit or that family structure. And therefore we said, you know what, let's throw a Hanukkah party. And we're like, how hard could that be? So we put the word out there and we decided we were gonna do in the rabbi's house, mind you, his house is not that big. And we thought we'll have, you know, 15, 20 kids. Well, 
I think it was about two weeks before Hanukkah when we started. And within a couple of days, we were up to something like 250 times. So we were like, oh my gosh, we did not realize the need and, and the amount of people that, that would come like so fast. It was just like, it was overwhelming. And we we're like, oh my gosh, what are we doing now? Like, there's no way 250 kids are fitting into the rabbi's house. It's not like we came with funding or a whole professional organization. We just decided to throw this party. And so all of a sudden we had this dilemma of what we're gonna do. And like, I did get some people involved from the community and they're like, you know what, let's hold off. Let's raise some money. Let's, I was like, no way. Like, we're not giving this up this opportunity. We got all these kids, you know, excited. We're going to figure this out. And we rented a large hall in our community and we threw a $25,000 party and we fundraised the money. And that was the beginning. And that's when we realized that, wow, we actually had something real. Wow. So first of all, that's awesome. I love that you were like, we promised them a party. We're giving them a party. And then, you know, the next steps past that, what happens next? You know, you throw this huge party, you see that there's this enormous need. Did you have an idea for the kinds of services that you wanted to provide or even how to go about doing that? Yes and no. I've only knew my experience and I knew what my kids could have used or did you did need in that time. So we started talking about that. And I, I was lucky enough because I was in the real estate world, I brought in some of the real estate players that I was doing business with. A lot of them, you know, in good financial situations. And we talked about what we can do. And at first, to be honest, people shied away from it. They were like, you know, two parents got divorced. We're really sad for the kids, but like, let them figure it out. You know, it's not the same as like coming to somebody and saying, you know, um, the six-year-old has leukemia. We got to help them. It's really different. Um, people were scared of getting involved in the divorce or getting pulled into court cases and all those kinds of messy things that go along with divorces. You know, people that wanted to get involved, but they were like, do we really want to go down this route? This route? Do we really want to get involved in such a messy, potentially messy situation? And so the first step was to like really define who we are and what we're doing. And we decided we were gonna be really um, parents. We say that word in, in Yiddish, like we're not gonna take sides. That's really what it means. Like, we're going to be really um, focused on the kids, not on the parents. And we're gonna be there for the children. We are going to make sure that the children have a stability that perhaps they're not getting at home because the parents are fighting in court or the kids are going back and forth between homes and, you know, so much happens in a divorce, um, kids get blamed or they feel guilt or, you know, or they don't have that family structure or the, the father has to work crazy hours. He doesn't get to see the kids enough. I mean, there's so much that we can talk about, um, but we decided that we were basically not gonna help the parents give the kids the best life possible um, by focusing on the actual needs of the children. Um, and we started slowly. We opened up only in Brooklyn and Flatbush. Uh, we opened up my son and family. We called it that because we felt like we wanted to just be an extension of the family. We weren't here to take over the role of a parent. We were here to lend a helping hand to the parents um, and be there for the kids um, when the parents maybe were struggling with other things. So basically what my son and family started as was a club for kids who came once a week. They got a big brother or a big sister, like we talked about 
having um, segregation of you know men and women it starts with the kids so we had once a week for girls once a week for boys ages seven to 13 um, and they got a big brother or a big sister and those were local teenagers who volunteered their time after school which is really special to come in and mentor these kids um, they're given homework help from their mentor they were given supper you know, so they're coming off the bus after school to like a warm cooked meal. Um, they are getting, we have a social work staff on hand. We don't provide therapy, but what we did do is social workers, you know, talk to the kids and oversee. So there were times that kids would come in and it's, you know, 20 degrees outside, the kids aren't wearing a proper coat. And that's when the social worker would step in, we'll figure out how to get a coat or the kid needs school supplies or, 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 the, or the social worker sees the child's not, you know, socially something's not right, the child's struggling with some sort of um, social anxiety or anything. And, and we step in and we call the parents and we say, hey, we noticed this, how can we help? What can we do? And then um, in the program also, there's some sort of social activity involved. So they have fun, they do homework, and then there's also some sort of activity that we try to um, connect to social skills, such as trust, um, bullying, things that maybe these kids are experiencing or experience a lack of. And we try to tie these um, experiences in, these uh, activities in to give these children an opportunity to learn a new social skill that maybe perhaps they're struggling with. Um, so that's how it started. From there, we now have five locations, Flatbush, um, Crown Heights, all in New York so far, Flatbush, Crown Heights, Muncie, five towns, um, sorry, four locations. And now we are opening in Lakewood, Baltimore, Passaic. Those are all coming up shortly. That is fantastic. How, how many years ago was it that you started this organization? Oh, yeah, eight years now, almost eight years. Wow. And, and it's expanding and, and growing and, and all of that. The- Fortunately or unfortunately. See, it's one of those things where I don't know. I mean, I kind of, as you're talking about the hesitancy that people have to support children of divorce, I can't help but wonder and, and kind of feel that part of the, I think I have a feeling that part of the reason why people are so hesitant to help children of divorce is that we still kind of see divorce as a personal failing. We still kind of see divorce as something that, you know, it's definitely become much more accepted um, and in a lot of ways, I think that's a good thing. Um, cause I do think that there are people that end up in situations that they never should have ended up in. You know, we, we date our community dates very quickly, even if, you know, like where I come from, I dated my husband for four months and that was considered long and that, and, and I mean, and anyone listening to this, who's not from the community is going to be, I remember like we one time told someone, yeah, we waited a little bit. We dated for four months and they literally <laughs> thought that I was crazy. Um, it was actually a guy in the gondola ride in Vegas, but whatever, side note. Um, but the, you know, if we're going to be in a situation where if we're going to, if we're going to want to date really quickly, which there are a lot of reasons why we do that. And a lot of them make sense. Then you kind of also need to accept that you're not, there's only so much that you can get to know about somebody in such a truncated amount of time. And people are going to make mistakes. People make mistakes under the best of circumstances. You know, we know that there are people who date for a year or two and still end up divorced because it's not the same or whatever it is. And, and in a lot of ways, I think that the, the fact that divorce is becoming more acceptable 
is a great thing. But I still think that we've got a long way to go and that we still view it as a personal failing. You know, it's still, if you, you know, if you would have worked hard enough, you could have made it work. If you would have wanted, if you would have wanted it more, you could have made it work. If you would have made better life decisions, if you would have had less kids, if you would have had more kids, if you would have not fought in front of the kids, if you would have made your opinion, like all of those things are things that we still think of as personal failings. And it's kind of been like, okay, well now you got divorced. So you made this bed and lay in it. So that's actually a lot of exactly the pushback that we got. And I'm very proud to say that I believe that our, our organization, when I say our, I mean it because we really have an amazing, incredible team at this point, um, changed the view of divorce and children from divorced homes within our community. I really believe that wholeheartedly because I've seen the progression. And um, today, you know, we, we raise, we have a $2 million a year budget. Wow. We raise it, it's hard to raise, but we raise it. And, and you know, um, I, that, it's not that money is everything, but when you go out there and you can raise $2 million within the community for this, then you realize, okay, people are on board. People recognize that whether or not this couple could have figured it out, at the end of the day, there are children suffering. And those children are innocent. And as a community, we need to be there for them, regardless of the situation. You're right. We actually got a, a really interesting phone call a few weeks ago. Um, a mother calling up and saying that her son was um, told he came back to school. Why? Because they're in a private school in Yeshiva system, and it's been two years, and the mom hasn't been able to pay tuition. And we do um, have some sort of crisis fund. I, I don't want to get into in public. It's really just for the for the club members, and we do step in financially when we need to. And um, we got the child back into school. We covered the cost, which was enormous. We got the child back into school. Then we got a phone call from somebody in our circle who donates money to us and said, hey, why are we doing this? And we said like, what do you mean why? He's like, listen, the father has money. Call the father, tell the father to pay his tuition. That's his responsibility. And we responded, we said, you know what? You're right. We're gonna call the father. Then in the day, the father's not in prison. And by the way, I, I wanna be really careful. I'm not here to bash single dads. I'm a huge supporter of any single parent. This is just in this situation happened to be the father. Right. Um, and, and we said, like, at the end of the day, this kid is an 11 year old boy out of school. So we can be right or we can do the right thing for the kid. What, which, which role, like, which road are we going to take? And we decided to take the road of doing the right thing for the kid, whether or not we were right or wrong. And I think that's so important that when we look at situations, I actually learned this from my husband a lot. He tells me this all the time. Like, do you want to be right or do you want to deal with this? Like, do you want to just take care of it? Or do you want to just always be right? And it took me a while to understand this because my personality is like, I'm going to do this the right way. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to tell that person the way it is. And I realized sometimes like going down that road doesn't get you anywhere. Just get it done, you know? Yeah. And we got it done. And yes, we called the father and we made a lot of noise and the father's still not paying tuition and whatever it is, we'll figure it out. The fact is, this 11 year old child is back in school. And um, that's a huge testament to the community who pulled together and, and you know, give us that money to get that child in school. Right, yeah, it's, I suffer from the same ailment of the difference between wanting to be right or wanting to actually get it done. I would like both, please and thank you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, 
I, I should note that when you say your husband now, you are remarried now. That's you're talking about your current husband. Yes, uh, um, we married for five years, which is our fifth anniversary. We have two babies, so I have three children from my previous. My husband has two children from his previous, and we have two together. God, we have two little babies. I actually have a funny story. I had two babies in eight and a half months. Um, <laughs> yeah, see, I knew this little fact, and I wasn't going to go there, but now that you said it, you must explain how this ended up working out. So I, I had a baby, um, his name is Nahum, um, and when I was done three months postpartum, wasn't feeling great, and I went to the doctor, and the doctor was like, I don't know, maybe, you, you know, you're a little bit older, maybe it's just taking time to, you know, get over the birth and whatever, I was like, no, I'm telling you something's off, and he did all the water work and everything came back fine, there was nothing wrong with me, and as I'm leaving the office, he's like, you know what? Lay down on the bed, let's do sonogram. I was like, what, why? Like, let's just do a sonogram. He's quiet and he's like, hmm, that's been there for a while. I'm like, what? <laughs> he's like, well, you're expecting, you're about three months pregnant. Anyways, my daughter decided to um, join us very early. So they should have been 10 and a half months apart. And in the end they were eight months apart. So now we have a little boy and a little girl. And they're yes. very cute. They are, I guess, what, what do we call that? Irish twins? Yes, Irish twins. But they're even closer than Irish twins, I think. Irish <laughs> twins is within a year, right? I think Irish twins is within the year, like up right. 11, so yeah, they're really close in age. They're yeah. really close in age. Wow. And all all of the strength and power to you, because the fact that you are a functioning human is, I think. I have a lot of good help. I have a lot of good help. Everyone should get good help. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Um, so, so, so you met your husband about, you know, you, you got remarried about five years ago. So how long were you single for? We were both divorced. For, we were both, um, whatever, single parents for seven years. Wow. So I'm sure that you and your husband compared your experiences, you know, with both being single parents um, and, um, and how that was like, how, how, how is it different? How is it different being a single mom versus being a single dad? And if you don't mind sharing, it was his ex involved in the kids at all? Oh. And or we don't have to touch that if you don't want to. Oh, it's okay. Um, so my husband has two daughters. Um, they're teenagers now, but they weren't when he got when he got divorced. They were um, toddlers. They were two and almost four, so really small children. It was a really first of all, his divorce went really smooth. He really didn't. I think she had a Jewish divorce within six months. He gave whatever she wanted. He didn't fight. He's not a fighter. Um, listen, this isn't working, and let's just do this the right way. He gave her the house. He literally gave her everything. The only thing he requested was access to his kids, which he got. He was a super hands-on dad. He still is. He was taking his two little, they were little, you know, babies, and he was taking them for weekends, and once during the weekend, changing diapers and the training and all the good things that come along with being a parent. So while he had them, he was basically, you know, he was the mother. She, his ex is super involved with the kid. Um, how is it different being a single mom and a single dad? So obviously it's different because as much as, a, okay, well, let me back. Some single dads have full custody of their children. That to me is like, when I think about being a single parent, I think about that being probably the hardest scenario because in general, especially in our community, the father's expected to support the family financially. While, of course, you know, so many of us help out in our relationships and work and have careers and all that, at the end of the day, the responsibility um, falls on the father. So a father who is a 
full-time parent and supporting a family, that's really wrong. Um, so, but my, my, my husband was not that way, did work and he had his kids. So I think it's a little bit easier in the sense that, you know, he took his kids every other weekend and once during the week, but like, you know, he's not mothering the children full-time. And when the kid is sick at the middle of the night, okay, once a week, you can hack it. But if your child is sick for six days straight and you're not sleeping, you don't have an extra set of hands and you have to go to work in the morning, it's just, it's, it's rough, you know? So I think that's a huge difference. Another huge difference is that um, fine, men have an easier time it's just like picking themselves up and going to sleep by their sister for the night or like hanging out my family. Whereas like a mom, a mother wants to be in her own environment. It's not something to just pick up and like go away for the weekend. That's just always how I found it. You know, you want to create some sort of stability in your home. Those are, I think, some of the differences. Um, you know, you have your kid overnight and then you send them back to their moms. Moms don't, most moms have full custody of their kids, even if they're getting visitation and dads are getting visitation or overnight. It's not the same responsibility for a mother. Um, but then again, then you have someone like my husband who's really emotionally attached to his children and really missed them all week. You know, he's a single, he's really a hands-on father. It was really hard for him not to see them all week. And there were times where he would just stop by to see his kids because he missed them. So I think the emotional toll on a father who's really connected to his kids is probably harder than on a mother because a mother really has the children more than the father. Yeah, I, I hear that. That that makes sense. The you know, if there's you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, that there are ways that you structured your life to make it work for yourself as a single mom. Um, I'm sure that there are some single moms here listening. So what are, what are some ways that you could, um, a single mom or a single parent can structure their life to make their unique situation a little bit easier? I'm going to say something that a lot of people are not going to like, but if they actually open their ears and are willing to hear something, I think this changes a lot of this can change a lot, change a lot for me. There's a concept of fake it till you make it. And I know in today's culture, we're all about like authenticity and, you know, and being in touch and real about our feelings. For me, I got up every morning, I got dressed, I put on heels, I put on makeup, and I went to work. And there were days, and especially in the beginning, when I literally didn't have food to put on my table. My kids ate pasta for four nights in a row. Now, I know a lot of kids want to eat pasta four nights in a row, but I didn't want to feed my kids pasta four nights in a row. Like, there were times we really didn't have money, but people thought that I was unsuccessful because every day I got up and I faced the world as if I was a Banca Trump, you know? Like, as if I was, I had everything. And it worked because what happened was it became like um, a cycle. People wanted to do business with me because I was successful and I became successful because people wanted to do business with me it was like this it was like a cycle and it worked and I think sometimes like when I talk to moms and they come to me you know they're not taking care of themselves they're not getting dressed in the morning they're not getting out there and I always tell them like you gotta strengthen yourself so that you can provide best for your You've got to put on a show a little bit in the beginning. Be out there. Like, get out there. Show the world you can do this. Like, and you can. And most women really, really can. Like, I think if they tap into themselves, they can get their act together. They can put themselves together and get out there. Now, of course, again, this is all generalization, and every situation is different. 
But for me, it really worked and it spiraled into something really big. Um, that was one thing. Another thing is that, and this, I believe, works like a charm. I really tell any single mom that called her, any single father for that matter, get involved in a charity of some sort. You know, most single moms and single fathers have time where they don't have their children because they're with other spouse. Take an hour of your week and get involved in a charity. Get out there, let people see you and give to the community because when you give, you feel better about yourself. Um, and this really, really works for me. It works for me in a lot of ways. It works for me because I was able to build this organization. I was able to feel like I wasn't always the taker. I was giving. You know, sometimes as single parents, we feel like, oh, the community has to take care of us, the community has to support us, our neighbors have to chicken with us. I don't, there's no good translation in English for the word I'm going to use. I feel like a never. I don't, I, there's just no word. A charity case. Like what? A charity case. Yeah, like it's like pathetic, like a charity case, exactly. But but when you give, you realize that like, no, I could be in a hard situation. I could be I'm in a very tough situation, but I still have the ability to give something of myself to somebody else. And um, it worked for me that way. It also works for me because um, lots of people started suggesting matches for me, like guys that I should date, because people saw me out there. You know, um, visibility is important. So for any single mom who's like wanting to date again, it's such a good way to get out there. People see you, they see you good already. You want to be involved in a charity. You're giving up your time, even though you're in a difficult position, it just it lends yourself to a really great place, like to put yourself in a really great place. Um, so those are two things. Another thing would be really focus on your kids. Um, I find that it's tough, you know, especially growing up in the, growing up in the religious world. Like we all grew up, we all just wanted to get married, wear a big white gown, and be a mom, you know? And um, then when that sort of falls apart, that family unit falls apart a little bit, it's hard. You feel like a failure, like we talked about before. And um, I think when you realize that you can have a family unit, even if you don't have that spouse there, it's so helpful. Like on Shabbos night, Shabbos we have a meal at night and then by day. I stayed home majority of the time with my kids and we sat around the table as if there was a father there. Like we sang songs, we talked about our, you know, we didn't run away from our situation. And it's important, it was important for me, it was important for my kids to see that like, yes, there's no father in the picture right now, but that's okay. We're okay. Like, we're still family, we're still a unit. Um, and that also trickles into other things. You know, being able to keep that family unit is, is really helpful. Structuring that family time, whether it's Shabbos or any other time, making sure that your family feels like a unit and not that it's like broken. I hate that word, family. I really despise when people say broken families. It's such a thing. Every family is whole. It could lack something, but it doesn't mean it's not whole in its, in its situation, in its time. It's still whole, it's complete, it's a unit. Regardless of, you know, it missing some part, it doesn't make it broken. And I think that's really important that the communities are yeah, all it's broken. We know that families can look very different, but you're right, all, all families are whole in even if they're not what we're conventionally used to, to seeing. Um, it's probably, it's maybe a little bit more likely that there are people who are listening who either have a friend, a family member, or a community member who is a single parent. So um, what what are ways that, what are, 
you know, not just what are the real and meaningful ways that we can better support the single parents in our communities or, you know, just our neighbors? What are the things that are legitimately helpful when it comes to supporting single parents? We get asked this question a lot. And um, it's really just like anything else. Think about what you would need if you didn't have that other spouse in your picture. Things like sometimes a single mom or single dad needs to run out. I want to babysit. Keep in mind, when a single parent wants to get out, right? You got to get a babysitter. You know, if that babysitter doesn't drive, you're probably getting that babysitter there or back. You're not leaving your kids alone when you get home. How does that work? That's really, that's something that, you, you know, a neighbor can really help out with. Let me watch your kids for an hour. Get out for a bit. You know, single parents don't get that break. So I think that's a way. And there's another way of, you know, you're running to the grocery, just like you would offer your neighbor or your friend. Hey, I'm running to, I do it all the time. I live in a place where I got to drive 25 minutes to, to my local grocery grocery. I don't ever go to the grocery without calling my neighbor and saying, hey, I'm running to the grocery. Do you need anything? And so I think a lot of it's like the same thing. You're running to the grocery, call that single parent and say, hey, I'm running to the grocery. Can I pick something up for you? Or, um, you know, come to holidays and Shabbos and all, invite them for a meal. It's not that hard, you know. It, it, it's so easy. These are, these are the easy things. You're going anyways to pray in synagogue to shul. Take that child with you. Take that boy with you. Pick up that boy and bring him with you. You know, it, it's things like that. Um, and of course, the other way is really just call your local um, school, your local community, your local school and say, hey, are there parents in your, are there kids in your community that come um, How can I get a in our community? People turn to our rabbis, they turn to the principals in the private school. The community knows what's going on. So if you really want to help, call leader in the community and say, hey, how can I help? How can I get involved? So people say, you know what? So funny, this mom just came to me. She can't afford to buy groceries. You'll give them that little money. Yeah. Or whatever it is, the, the community, because of the structure of the way our community is built, um, the community leaders, a lot of them really know what's going on. And reaching out to them, asking them how they can help, or good ways to really get involved. That's, that's fantastic. And also, it's I think it's just to, like you said, keep in mind of, you know, if you are not a single parent, think about what are the things that you're spouse does for you, that you rely on for his or her support, and how you can fill those gaps in in somebody else's in somebody else's day. This has been a fantastic and eye-opening conversation. It the time flew by. I can't believe that we're done already. Oh, 45 minutes? It's been 45 minutes, yeah. Um, the I think, yeah, 45 minutes. Um, if somebody wants to learn more about you, Journey, or about my extended family, where can they go? So my son's family, we have a website, um, www.myef.org. We're also on Instagram. So those are good ways about me, learn more about me. I, <laughs> I mean, I guess they can reach out to you. I definitely do. Again, I'm not a professional. I don't think I've said this, but I want to say this. I'm not a professional. I've definitely been the phone call for a lot of single parents. Um, we're also in the process of branching, not my son and family, but separate from my son family. I have a few friends, single mom. We are going to be branching into a support group for single parents. Um, so they can definitely reach out to you with an email address. Um, and if I can ever be of help or give 
advice on any level to any Okay, so if anyone uh, is interested in reaching out to uh, Sherney, then you can uh, shoot me an email and um, and I'll be more than happy to share that contact information. Uh, I, I, wanna, I wanna mention one more thing and I don't know how I skipped over this, which is so, so important. Um, having a higher power in my life, having God in my life was something that really um, was invaluable to me. There were so many times that, and I know this from also parents where there's so many times again, I can't do it. It's just too hard. Those are the times I was like, you know what, God, this is on you. Like now's your chance. You are going to deal with this. You know, they're your children too. And having that was like such a relief. And if you're a single parent out there, I knew you could be mad at God because being a single parent and going through the divorce process many times it's not easy. A lot of times you get angry at God and rightfully so. But I believe that the whole heart that you turn to God and really say, hey God, and you here. You help me have these children. It's your chance to like get involved. Um, I really believe it works. I love that. The last thing that I want to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes on the show, and that is to you, Sterney Steinmetz, what does it mean to make an impact? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a loaded question. I know. So I grew up Chabad, and in Chabad, from a very young age, we're taught, we talk about being the light, um, and that means being an example. Um, and I teach this to my kids from when they're very young, but we tell them you can be the light, you can be the example, you be the doer. And I think that's for me, um, that sort of answers it up. Like in that moment, in that difficult situation, or in every in your everyday life, you have a choice. You can stay home and use your experiences to help your life and get through whatever struggles you're going through, or you can use your experiences to be the light for somebody else. And um, I've been very, very fortunate to inspiration for a lot of people who struggle through being a single parent and remarriage and um showing people hey there's a light at the end of the tunnel i love that thank you so much for coming on today's journey i really appreciate it Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Sherney, her links are in the show notes. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 13 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzquitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together. <laughs>